it was a hit. It was a dirty hit. There's not going to be a friendship between us, and and that's just kind of the way it is. This does nothing to move. Democrats, uh, they've hated him from day one. Trump's base is with him. Uh, it has been with him, and I think it will continue to be. What does it say about the attorney general and her regard for these civic protections that she would go that route? And in retrospect, was it a critical and perhaps fatal miscalculation on her part for this case? You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The January 6th committee held a surprise hearing on Tuesday calling Cassidy Hutchinson a top aide to President Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to testify. David Dulio, director at the Center for Civic Engagement at Oakland University, reviews with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz on All Talk. The testimony was compelling. I don't know if it had to be held in an emergency session or not, but uh, there was a story about Donald Trump smashing his plate, ketchup flying on the wall at the White House after hearing Bill Barr was doing interviews and saying there was not enough evidence to overturn the election. There's another story about Trump agreeing with those chanting to hang Mike Pence and a story about Trump wanting to go to the Capitol on January 6th so badly that he grabbed the steering wheel of his limo uh, and, and uh, the Secret Service was shocked uh, that uh, he would try and do that. Uh, you know, I'm the president. I want to go to the Capitol. Take me to the Capitol. <laughs> I, it was it was compelling. It, it, it again made Donald Trump uh, look bad uh, and terrible. Uh, I don't know if uh, it, it, it finally proved any evidence of a crime or not, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to watch it. Joining us now is Dave Dulio, Director of the Center for Civic Engagement and Political Science Professor at Oakland University. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm well. Good morning, guys. Uh, there, there's a lot going on in, in this testimony. What, what I thought was maybe the most damaging testimony was uh, Donald Trump keeping close tabs on staffers and appointees to make sure that they were on Team Trump. Uh, uh, this was kind of presented, uh, you know, like uh, as he was threatening them. Uh, you, you're on board, Team Trump, or you're out of here. Uh, how, how damaging is, is, is that evidence and how damaging uh, is, is all of uh, what this new witness had to say to, to Donald Trump and, and the Republican? Republican Party? Well, you know, I think that depends who you're asking. Uh, I, I, I'm one who thinks that most Americans have their opinion of the former president baked in, right? I mean, this does nothing to move Democrats. Uh, they've hated him from day one, uh, and they will continue to hate him. I don't think their hatred can get any higher. Uh, Trump's base is with him. Uh, it has been with him, and I think it will continue to be. I, I don't think that uh, you'll see very many uh, staunch Trumpers uh, move much at all, it, in, in part because they're not paying attention to the January 6th committee. I think if there's any movement, right, it might even – and heck, I even think that, that most independents – have rejected Trump and have done so for years. So there, I think the small group where you might see some movement is with some Republicans who were willing to give Trump a chance or maybe a second chance or the benefit of the doubt, however you want to put it. Uh, this might move them. But in the overall uh sort of political spectrum, that, that's a smaller slice than, than will really make a huge difference. I think everybody's, most, most everybody's baked in at this point. Yeah, it may help uh, Ron DeSantis more than anybody. Um, they called this an emergency hearing. Uh, do, you think, um, do you think this might have been more of a, a political ploy or a, a scare tactic to try and convince Mark Meadows or others to come forward and tell all against the former president? 
Well, I, I, let me put this in some let me put this comment in some context, right? I mean, it, it, this is not about the January sixth committee per se, but uh, a lot of committee hearings on Capitol Hill have a political angle, right? And you see that by the the witnesses that are called. You see it in the uh, the statements that members of the committee make uh, before. Uh, entering into questioning of witnesses. So uh, there's no doubt that there's a political angle to the January 6th committee, to these hearings, uh, the fact that the first one was in prime time. So so there is definitely a a political angle to this. Uh, You know, how much of it is, you know, whether that's 20 percent or 80 percent, I don't know. Uh, but I think that that is um, certainly part of the story. Yeah, um, and part of the story was yesterday trying to get out some salacious details from somebody who was there uh, for some of it. Uh, and one of the most salacious details that it came out, in my opinion, was when uh, this Cassidy Hutchinson, she said that she had heard from someone that Trump tried to grab the wheel of the limousine. And he wanted to go to the Capitol, and Secret Service says, no, you're not going to the Capitol. And, and that Bobby Angle, he's the head of Secret Service, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. Well, Bobby Angle himself said yesterday that never happened, and he now wants to testify under oath. Angle and the SUV driver, they said they'd be happy to go under oath because that wasn't true, what Hutchinson had said. And they were there, and she, she wasn't there. Do you, do you think the committee will allow their testimony, and should they? Well, if they don't, I think that that will allow many to cast aspersions on the committee even more than they're probably doing already. I, I, you know, I think that if um, the, the the call has been out for by the committee for people who know something or who have a, a something to share to come forward, and it, it appears that Mr. Engel is doing so, that he would uh, like to testify and, and contradict the testimony of the uh, witness yesterday. Um, you know, how much of an impact that has depends on, A, whether they let him uh, testify, B, uh, how much coverage it gets, because I would imagine that it's probably going to get less mm-hmm. than Ms. Hutchinson's testimony yesterday. Probably, but the, they had that emergency meeting yesterday because there was new information. Well, this is additional new information that right. maybe they should include now because it's new. Uh, the White House apparently had information, according to Hutchinson, that the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, they were going to be at the Capitol, and they might be violent. And U.S. Capitol Police had information about the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers as well, wanting to target uh, the U.S. Capitol. Wouldn't that have been a reason that Trump was asking Pelosi for more security presence at the Capitol in the days leading up? Well, I think that makes some some sense, and but but that's something you'd have that that probably only the president uh, can can answer. Uh, you know, I think the uh, a, a bigger piece of this, and one that's frankly not getting as much attention, is the uh, the statements from Ms. Hutchinson that that there were weapons that were taken away. Uh, as people approach the magnetometers to try to get into the rally. Um, you know, I think that that's actually a much more explosive, um, no pun intended, um, uh, component of her testimony than, than is being paid attention to. Yeah, there are there a lot of weapons that were taken, and they that that is a serious issue. That some of the people in that crowd had weapons, brass knuckles, and, and the like, those kinds of things. And apparently there was an AR-15 somewhere on the grounds as well. 
uh, Donald Trump, uh, apparently, according to this testimony, was aware of the violence that was going on at the Capitol. It seemed at the time he indicated he wasn't aware how serious this was. Uh, and when he found out, that's when he tweeted out, uh, you know, to uh, to be calm. Uh, do, do you think this new testimony hurts him in that regard of what he knew or didn't know? Again, I think it depends. Uh, I, I think it does hurt him. But what impact that has, say, politically or legally, uh, legally, I certainly can't comment not being an attorney. But politically, I, again, I think it, it, it really has an impact on that smaller slice of the public that may have been willing to, to give him a second chance uh, or, or another chance. Uh, but for most of the folks, I think their opinion of him is, is hardened. The Big Ten dropped a bombshell Thursday afternoon when they announced at UCLA and USC will be joining the conference in 2024. WGR sports analyst Steve Courtney with Sean Belegian and Chris Renwick on Paul W. Smith. You know what, fellows? We go back to that uh, luncheon at the Detroit Athletic Club. I think it was about a month ago, uh, moderated by our own Paul W. Smith and on hand Tom Izzo, Mel Tucker, and Alan Haller, the fine athletic director from Michigan State. And Mr. Haller alluded to the fact that, hey, stay tuned, changes were coming. Well, we find out yesterday they are in a big-time way. As a matter of fact, on this Friday morning, USC and UCLA, two of the Pac-12's flagship programs, were notified last night that their application to join the Big Ten has been accepted. Now, when this news broke yesterday afternoon, uh, there was a feeling that the Big Ten may not be done. Well, how about this? There are various reports that Oregon and Washington are also looking into Big Ten admittance. So, you know, this is crazy. Right now, there are 16 teams with USC and UCLA, 16 teams in the Big Ten, potentially 18. Now, how is it going to work from a scheduling standpoint? Obviously, you're going to try and keep as many rivalries in place as possible knowing that the majority of Big Ten teams play three non-conference games to start the season, uh, you're looking at not playing a team in your conference. Well, there'd be seven teams you don't see in any given season. Now, what is the plan of attack going to be? And I'm sure the Big Ten will address this perhaps later today in a press conference. But that being said, uh, it is going to be uh, willy-nilly for a little bit here, fellas. Are we headed to a, I mean, it, it seems to me like we're headed to a big two. It's the Big Ten, it's the SEC, and then it's everybody else. What, 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 what do you think conferences like the ACC or the Pac-12 now or the Big 12, uh, what becomes of them? Well, and what about the MAC? Uh, what sure. about a team like Cincinnati and Absolutely. what they were able to accomplish a year ago? Uh, so that seems to be, Chris, the train of thought here, that uh, college football in particular heading to two super conferences. Uh, what does that do for the traditional bowl season? Uh, if, if you've got the two super conferences, how does this affect the uh, college football playoff system? I mean, what is everybody else playing for? And what about a school like Notre Dame? Uh, does their rivalry with USC continue? And there's no. been a bone of contention. 
Well, there, listen, there has been a bone of contention for years, and nobody knows better than you, my young friend, uh, that you know they, Notre Dame makes a boatload as an independent. We get that. But it's also been said, hey, look, they better uh, settle up with a conference here so they're not on the outside looking in. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is a crazy deal. If, in fact, Oregon and Washington also join the Big Ten, the Pac-12, it's over. The Big 12, it's over. Uh, and what happens? Who knows? But uh, this is an amazing deal here. And at the, at the root of every decision is money. USC and UCLA joining the Big 10 certainly didn't happen over the period of a couple of days. There is so much money involved. And as it turns out, USC, UCLA, their Pac-12 TV deal ends in 2023. Oh, oddly enough... So does the Big Ten. Hmm. So USC, UCLA, and whoever else wants in, you know, it's just open the floodgates. Uh, that will go into effect in 2020. They can keep Oregon State, though. We don't need them. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, Steve, I'm going to be interested to see if, if, you know, this latest round of musical chairs, how the ACC reacts. Because to your point earlier, Chris, they're gonna, well, let's go grab some of the biggest powers we can and get them locked up. And uh, conversely, is the Big 12 going to try to get people? Or, you know, are people going to sit back and go, well, no, that's the Texas Conference. Uh, this round of musical chairs is going to be very fun, Stevie. Yeah, well, you know, Sean, uh, to that point, it's been noted time and time again that the attractive conferences right now, obviously, are the Big Ten and the SEC. Uh, You know, the ACC, the Big 12, now the Pac-12, what are they going to do? Who are they going to lure? Especially if the Pac-12 loses their last two real marquee programs in Oregon and Washington. So, and then let's fast forward to this. The thought when Alan Haller made the uh, announcement of the winds of change are going to blow in the Big Ten at that luncheon, your immediate thought was, okay, uh, like the SEC, we're just going to do away with divisions, and the top two teams will play for the conference championship. Uh, I would assume, anyway, based on 16 teams in the conference now, perhaps 18 soon, uh, that that is what the uh, Big Ten is going to eye. It doesn't make sense, does it? to just put USC in the West and UCLA in the East. The West has never won a Big Ten championship game, ever. So uh, it's been the East that's dominated. So there's that. Former Governor Rick Snyder is calling for all state charges against him in connection with the Flint water crisis, dropped after the state Supreme Court overturned his indictment over the use of a one-man grand jury. The Honorable Henry Saad, former chief of the Michigan Court of Appeals, lends his analysis to Guy Gordon. Why would the attorney general want a one-man grand jury as opposed to a, a panel of citizens in this case? Well, it, it could have been for efficiency purposes, but as you know, Guy, the, the Supreme Court did not inquire into her motivation. That was not the issue. The issue that uh, Chief Justice Bridget McCormick looked at is if somebody is charged by a, a one-person or one-man grand jury, is the defendant entitled to plenary exam? And the answer was pretty easy. Yes, that's been a foundational protection for citizens that if there is a charge, they have a right to cross-examine witnesses at a preliminary exam before an independent judge who can make a determination whether the matter ought to go to trial. Because charging 
for probable cause is entirely different based on hearsay, based on uh, somebody's uh, suppositions about a lot of things. But that preliminary exam stands as the bulwark for anybody who is charged, whether it's a one-man grand jury or anything. And Justice McCormick, who spent a lot of time in the criminal justice system, knows pretty clearly that's why it's a 6 nothing decision, right. not closed. And on the indictment, as you know, because you've read the decision, uh, the legislature, it was pure statutory interpretation. The legislature, in fact, had at one point that this one judge uh, statute uh, authorization could indict, and they removed that, which is right. pretty solid evidence that... No, you don't have that authority to do it. So, so let, let, me, let me just give you the quote from Justice McCormick that you just referenced there, which is she says, a Genesee County judge served as the one man grand jury and considered the evidence not in a public courtroom, but in secret. A star chamber comeback. To this day, the defendants do not know what evidence the prosecutor presented to convince the grand jury or juror to to charge them. And that's really the key thing here is that they denied these defendants the right to see what evidence was there. And that's the function of a preliminary exam, because everybody, you know, criminal law 101 and criminal procedure, they teach you in law school that when you're charged, when there is an indictment, you have a preliminary exam to test the evidence. And a judge sitting independently, objectively at that preliminary exam will make the determination after the defendant has a right to cross-examine those who have made broad evidence mm-hmm. to support the charge. And that's missing here. So that's why it's a 6 nothing decision, Guy, because it's so clear that a preliminary exam has been so foundational to the criminal justice system. You can't circumvent that by having either a citizen's grand jury or one-man grand jury. There is still a right to a preliminary exam. So that that's unexceptional. It's not controversial, just as uh, their reading of the statute is unacceptable. They're not making any claims about uh, what the underlying facts are, uh, where it goes from here. They are protecting citizens in general, which is what your instincts have just told you. They're protecting citizens right. from, quote, what she says is much like a star chamber, where you have no idea what was said, what was done. And should you go to trial based on that? No, you have to have a preliminary exam. What does it say about the attorney general and her regard for these civic protections that she would go that route? And in retrospect, was it a critical and perhaps fatal miscalculation on her part for this case? Well, uh, let let me take the easy way out on that one and say, uh, as a former member of the judiciary, I won't comment <laughs> on on anything about any attorney general, this or anybody else. <laughs> I can o- I, I will only say what I think is the appropriate decision by the Supreme Court, and they got it right uh, on both issues. And uh, what this says for the future, I don't know. The only thing I do know is that for any case that comes before the judiciary, it's now quite clear that a preliminary exam will be the result whether it's a one-person grand jury, a one-man grand jury, a one-judge grand jury, criminal defendants have the right to make sure that they cross-examine witnesses, which yeah. is, have, you know, and as you know, that is a constitutional right to confront witnesses when you're in trial. That has been a long-established right. I think she even quoted case law back to the 1100s. Well, I asked you a I asked you a highly speculative question, and I I, I should have known <laughs> that you would politely recuse yourself from that. 
But if had you been prosecuting this case, and you would no doubt have been aware of the legislative intent here not to use one-man grand juries as indicting agents, uh, would you say that that was a fatal error in judgment? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't comment on that uh, guy only because as a member of the judiciary, you just take what comes before you, you rule on the case. Um, and I would say this, prosecutors, prosecutors charge, prosecutors bring indictments. It's up to the judiciary to hold preliminary exams right. as a protection to individual defendants. So the prosecutorial role is so much different. And that, you know, she doesn't, uh, Judge Justice, uh, Chief Justice McCormick doesn't go through that analysis. She didn't have to because it was so clear. Right. But that's part of it. You know, it, there's checks and balances. The important the thing, has won. Yeah. those citizen, citizen rights were defended yesterday and defended in a way that went beyond partisanship, that went beyond um, political leadings. It truly was a, a very, very uh, direct verdict. Uh, from these uh, six justices that that sat in judgment of this, and we'll we'll leave it to our listeners to uh, to to you know to, to weigh it in regards to what they think of of Dana Nessel's uh, approach well, I, to yeah, this. Guy, I, I think this is a fundamental right that the court was declaring, sure. and it really didn't matter that this was the Flint Water or any other case. It said nothing about the issues involving Flint Water. Mm-hmm. It simply said that criminal defendants have this right; they have had it for many many years. And they're not going to take it away. And that's a pretty good decision. Former Governor Snyder appeared in federal court on Thursday where he pled the fifth. ESPN's E60 on the rivalry between the Red Wings and Colorado Avalanche debuted last Sunday afternoon to strong reviews. One of the many topics the documentary focused on was the legendary fight between Darren McCarty and Claude Lemieux, which was payback for Lemieux's cross-check on wings forward Chris Draper from behind, sending his face into the boards, severely injuring him. Chris Draper gives his thoughts on the special to Steve Courtney and Marie Osborne on the Mitch Album Show. First of all, Drapes, uh, did you get a chance to check out the uh, unrivaled yesterday i did i absolutely did um i thought espn did a fantastic job um i thought uh you know both uh both organizations uh, you could still you could still feel the passion um you know for the rivalry and and certainly uh you know the passion and pride that the avalanche players have for colorado and then obviously the same thing with uh you know detroit and the pride and the, and the passion that we have for the Detroit Red Wings. So I thought uh, I thought they captured that. Um, I agree with uh, with you. The emotions uh, of kind of going back, you know, down memory lane. And you know, I, oh, yeah. I, I got to say, uh, you know, I you know definitely uh, you know teared up when uh, my my former teammate and and probably the greatest mm. competitor that this game saw with uh, with Vladdy. It was oh. uh, it was it was tough. It was tough to. To see uh, to see Vladdy, I'm so so proud of him for 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 doing what he did, and it's uh, you know I I think it 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 ignited you know everybody no matter what side you're on in the rivalry, I think everyone was uh, you know proud to see Vladdy, and and I thought Vladdy's daughter did a fantastic job too. So it was uh, it was unreal. It was uh, like I said, it was it was very emotional, um, and that one uh, that one definitely got me uh, you know seeing uh, seeing Vladdy. Uh, Chris, I, I wonder with, I often ask people that I have the opportunity to interview who've had a moment in history and your moment came in sports history, of course, uh, with this, what happened during that game in your later life, as you go through your life, how do you step out of the shadow 
of that moment to make a new mark in life and a new way in life and maybe to get people to ask you about something other than that moment uh, in which you made history. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, uh, probably the only other thing they're going to do is ask me, how do you feel being traded for a dollar? So I'm not sure which one. <laughs> I'm not sure which one I, I, I want to talk about. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, honestly, I'm, you know, just an incredible journey. Um, you know, obviously it was, uh, you know, that year and that ending was, you know, tough, you know, for myself personally with the yeah. injuries and everything that I had to go through. But it was tough for our organization. You know, when you look at, um, you know, you go back to the, you know, the three, four years of, of what had happened with our hockey team, you know, the, in 93, the loss to Toronto in 94, the loss to San Jose in 95, we get swept by New Jersey in the Stanley cup finals. And then obviously what happens in 96. And I think, um, you know, I think, you know, that moment, um, you know, kind of started defining a, a lot of us, um, you know, truthfully, we ended up making, you know, an, an incredible trade to bring Brendan Shanahan in, which really kind of changed the identity of our of our team. Um, and then after that, and, and especially after March 26, I think, you know, that was the moment, you know, that we kind of rallied around as a team. It was something that we needed to do. And and I don't just mean, I don't mean the fights. I don't mean you know, you know, Mac and Lemieux and right. and Wa and 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 Vernie. I mean winning that hockey game. We needed to beat them. They had our number. Yeah, they were the Stanley Cup champions. We had lost three games so far to them this was the fourth game before the playoffs and I think that that moment you know we we really you know created something something special for in that dressing room and and for our team all right so here we are drapes at the end of the program yesterday you were asked point blank have you forgiven Claude Lemieux and you and I over a period of time uh we've discussed this uh at length now let me just point something out via this Heinous hit. You had a broken jaw, a broken nose, a broken cheekbone, a concussion. There was uh, an injury to the orbital socket. You were messed up. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows exactly what you went through as you rehabbed. Chris, I couldn't imagine uh, the pain involved with this injury. So when you're asked, have you forgiven him? And you were very candid and said no. Nobody knows except you and your family what the hell you went through. Yeah. Um, hey, let, let's be honest. It was uh, it was a horrible summer. Um, you know, you end up. Uh, you know, I ended up losing. You know, probably close to, to twenty pounds. I couldn't eat for six weeks. <laughs> uh, it's not like uh, I had an opportunity to go to Beyond Juice or, or Fruition and get uh, you know these fancy <laughs> smoothies that I'm eating right now. You know, I was uh, I was on I was on Insure, you know, and those things don't mm. taste very well back in uh, back in the mid '90s. But you know what? Honestly, like it's I guess the you know the the thing is it 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 happened. Obviously, the way we responded, you know, as a team, and and we went on to win, you know, in that in that era, Certainly. you know, three cups, and and you know what? Like there was never, you know, there was never any communication between you know, myself and, and Claude, and here we are 25 later, 25 years later, and it, and it's still the same thing. So it's, uh, it doesn't, I'm not bothered by it. It hasn't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think about it. It's not something that, you know, I think about every, every day. It was, you know, it was, it was a hit. It was a dirty hit. Um, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of the way, you know, I responded and, and came back to play with, with no hesitation of, of how I had to play the game. And, you know, those are things that, you know, I, I'm proud of. So in the fact, you know, and then, you know, like there's not going to be a friendship between us and, and that's just kind of the way it is. We're just in, in, you know, different right. worlds. If I, if I see them and, and I've seen them multiple times, I saw them at the draft, I think it was in 14 in Florida. I saw them at the alumni game, you know, shook hands you know it was uh you know obviously you know mm-hmm. r- respectful and because he's in the hockey industry i'm in the hockey industry and that's just the you know that's mm-hmm. just the, the way it is but you know i i answered the question and and that's you know i i basically said how i felt and still feel that way i guess uh you know a day later i mean that's just kind of the way it is but like i said it doesn't it doesn't bother me i don't think about it i don't think about the hit it 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 didn't it certainly didn't change the way i was going to live my life or play the game and that's something that i'm really proud of all right and quickly because we don't have much time left uh vladdy in washington to witness another cup win that's when i lost it my friend unbelievable yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that was that was special. Uh, I think everyone everyone knew as soon as Stevie got the Stanley Cup, he was going to ha- hand it off to Vladdy. And you know that moment. Uh, you know, I think anybody, any any hockey fan, uh, it doesn't matter who you're cheering for. Uh, you know, obviously brought you know all of us to tears. It was uh, it was powerful. It was incredible. Uh, it breaks our heart. Uh, and it was just uh, that moment was one of the greatest moments that, that I could be a part of. Al Roker from NBC's Today Show broadcast live from the Riverwalk on Wednesday, shooting a Coney segment for a streaming cooking show on Peacock. He talks about his time in Detroit with Paul W. Smith. And I'm so glad that you chose Detroit to come in for your family style, for your show on Peacock uh, Network, and uh, and talk about Coney dogs. I, I've been watching you on Channel 4, and it looks like you've been having a ball. Oh, having a blast. You know, just a great time. So many people came down here to the Riverwalk. I did not know that not just one year, but two years in a row now, the Detroit Riverwalk has been voted best Riverwalk uh, in, in the country. And and I am a big devotee of, of, of those walks. Like I've been to the ones in Austin and uh, all over the country, uh, San Antonio and different places. And, and this is a spectacular uh, Riverwalk and one of the few that you look across and you see another country. Yeah, so that, that's, that's very cool. I don't think we've ever played that up enough, realizing you come to Detroit and you're five minutes away from another country, yeah. and we get to look at beautiful Canada every day. That's old Canada. There you go. We just had that sung for the fireworks. <laughs> we have our fireworks early around here, Al Roker. Ah, and we, well, and we do both. We do the O Canada and we do our national anthem. And why not? We're watching on both sides of the river from both countries. Come on. There you go. Yeah, no. So, it's, so you know, and, and so any, uh, any reason to come to Detroit for me is, is always exciting. But, you know, like you said, you said, Paul, we've got this, uh, this series that runs on our, our streaming channel uh, today all day and on Peacock that it's called Family Style. Uh, for example, the one that's uh, dropping today is all about ice cream. Mm. Uh, and so it's kind of a summertime, and we thought, let's get one more summertime one in and talk about hot dogs. And obviously, uh, Coney Island hot dogs, even though, you know, they kind of started in New York, but the Coney, I didn't realize, was so so much of a big deal here oh yeah it's uh, a it's a very big deal by the way we just spoke about ice cream uh a place called milk and froth 
where they make a classic dairy and vegan ice creams made from scratch in small batches. None of the chemicals or other things, additives, uh, you probably have a very book schedule, but you might want to try that out in a place we call Eastern Market that you could do a whole week's worth of shows in. But be oh, that wow. as it may, you're going to be at American Coney Island, Grace Kiros. I know you haven't been there yet, but you're going to be there a little yeah. later. Uh, Grace is the only woman I know running any of the Coney Islands. It's a great family business. The funniest thing, though, Al Roker, is that American Coney Island is connected to another famous Coney Island called Lafayette. Lafayette. Yeah. Lafayette. I, it, it, I've been told that. It's number of people. Side by side. And uh, and then you go to this place called CMO, Chili Mustard Onions. That's, yes. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, because it, 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 what we try to do is look at, and these are all family-run businesses, we, we look at the classic in a town, but then what's what what what's the next generation doing with that classic? And as you know, CMO is is vegan, and uh, uh, but I, so I'm really fascinated to try it. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, probably by the time I'm done, uh, whoever is sitting next to me on the plane ride home is not going to be happy because <laughs> you will you know, get the you onions. <laughs> yes, you will get the onions, and there is chili involved, so. Anything could happen. They'll do it for Podsui this week. For full episodes or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.